Hello and welcome to Carl's Interviews in podcast form. This is an audio extraction of the live interviews that I've conducted with some absolutely fantastic guests from all walks of life with a common theme of being truly inspiring and I cannot wait for you to hear their story. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another of Carl's interviews. Today I'm joined by multiple World European and Commonwealth Swimming Medalist Karen Pickering, MBE. Karen and I had a really good chat offline before this all started, exchanging various stories about, um, unfortunately, one of her twins being a bit poorly, our mutual friend Sharon Davies and what she's been up to recently, and just generally about everything around the sport and her experiences What's going to be really good for those listening is Karen's really honest about her experiences. I think I defy anyone not to be inspired by what she has achieved. And um, I suppose, Karen, what would be really good for you to kind of introduce us to how you got into it? Have you always been a natural swimmer? Um, well, it's interesting because I, when I first was learning to swim, I had a really, really bad experience. And actually just a few weeks into having lessons which I was only allowed to do because my older sister was already having lessons at the swimming club. But right. it was one of those pools where um, the shallow end was quite deep. Yeah. And um, I couldn't stand in the shallow end. The, the My teacher was the, sort of the main teacher was away. The substitute teacher didn't know me and just told me to take my armbands off, which I did. And I sank to the bottom, had to be rescued by the lifeguard. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, and I, I still, I do remember, I remember you know, being on the bottom of the pool, I remember all of it, but you know, it didn't, it didn't put me off. And I, I just had this massive love for being in the water and it, it's just always been my happy place, you know, from, I can even remember, you know, the smell of walking into the, that old swimming pool and, you know, going down old steps into the changing rooms and, you know, the, the, the kind of locker things that you used to hand over to the lady and she hung them up behind her, one of those wire baskets and everything about it. Wow. And I used to be, you know, quite so excited and my tummy would be butterflies that I was going down for these swimming sessions with a lot of older swimmers. You know, so I have real vivid memories from a very yeah. young age of swimming, but I was rubbish. You know, I, really, I, was, I wasn't any good, but I, mean, I just I loved it. Rubbish by good standards. I mean... No, I was just, you know, even even by club standards, I wasn't the best in my age group. Those girls, boys, you know, better than me, younger than me that were better than me. Um, but I just loved it. And I was really determined. And very from a very young age, I realised when I practised something, I improved. Um, and I could see that when other kids, like, got out, to go for toilet breaks and I was counting how many extra lengths I could do while they were off having a rest and I was like yes you know I've got six lengths while they've been in the toilets kind of thing <laughs> you know from a really young age I was just sort of seeing opportunities where I could could improve and um but I think um it was more just how much I loved being there so before I was any good I was saying I want to go to the Olympics I want to swim at the Olympics you know and that was before I was club champion, um, count, you know, let alone sort of county champions or anything yeah. like that. And the, obviously it's, it's been a bit of an enduring theme, the, your, your absolute commitment to your training then that's produced the results. Was it only in swimming you had that or did you find that definitely in other pursuits as well that you had that, I suppose, dogged determination? 
I am I am determined. Um I'm not I'm not particularly competitive. You know how some people say they just want to win everything. Yeah. And competitive yeah. in everything. I'm I'm not really that that way. Um but if there's something that I want, I will do everything I can to make it happen. So it you know, everything I need, even now, whether it's, you know, making sure I got the right job so I could get a mortgage and keep my house or I don't know fixing some DIY stuff that needs fixing if I get in my head I can do this um I'll do it you know I dug a three foot hole during lockdown to find a pipe junction to fix my lack of drinking water at my (laughs) property and just did not want to ask for help and I was you know hacking through rock and everything but I got that. So it's not necessarily a good quality all the time, but um, I would say, yeah, determination more than competitiveness. And have the girls picked up that trait off you as well? They are quite feisty. Yeah, I I kind of can see some battles in our future. (laughs) I'm sort of proud. Yes, no, that's fair. (laughs) So you're obviously um, spotted, presumably, because how did it work back then in terms of people finding who were potential stars of the future? You just raced. So there was no talent spotting. So I was at a small club in Hove um, and I sort of went to, you know, club championships, county championships. But it was really down to my mum driving me to competitions um so you go to county championship you get qualifying time you can then qualify for district championships and if you do a national qualifying time you get to go to national championships so i um you know i was i was plugging away swimming um county sussex wasn't a particularly strong county nationally um so you know winning a county title in sussex wasn't perhaps the same as like lancashire or yeah. some counties um northeast northwest northwest that were probably stronger for swimming um but you know still it's it's kind of it's all about times yeah so when i i i done did a national age group championships i think it was 1984 and um i finished ninth twice which was obviously really infuriating, but was still a massive improvement on where I'd qualified. But when I went to the Nationals a a year later and was ranked probably number two, I was in the changing room when I heard lots of the girls asking, who was I? Because because I was just a kid from a club they'd never heard of in Hove. So it didn't matter who you are. It's all about who touches the wall first. Yeah. So you don't have to be spotted or liked. Um, you know, it's not about someone thinking, can you fit in or do we need, you know, how, how's that going to work? Which I kind of like about swimming. It's just about how fast you go. No, it, it, it is nice, actually. And she say that because there is sometimes certain sports is quite cliquey, isn't it? And if mm-hmm. you are the right sort of person, whereas it's good that on pure performance and what you can achieve, you're taken forward. Yeah. So talk me through then, obviously, your, your 1906 was the European Juniors, wasn't it? Yeah. Your yeah. First. How were you feeling then when you kind of attended that? Um, it was a strange one, actually, because I was still this kid from this like little club and I was pretty clueless. So going to those European Junior Championships. So basically, I'd won the national age groups in 85. That qualified me for the junior team in 86. So you'd have been um, like- 14, 15 this sort of time, 85, 86, yeah? So I was 13, 14. 13, okay. 
Um, so I then um, went to these European Junior Championships and like everyone, the loads of the other swimmers were saying, are you shaving down? I'm like, what's shaving down? I don't know what that is. And they're like, are you crazy? You've got to shave your legs and do all of this. I was like, I don't know. Um, what, you know, how long is your taper? What's a taper? <laughs> I had no idea. So I just, you know, I just, all I knew was I trained and I raced and I trained and I raced. And I didn't really know anything more than that. So it was quite eye-opening. Um, you know, I didn't have anyone at my club that had done anything like that before. So there was no no one, um, to, you know, having set an example. You know, there was my coach hadn't talked to me about any of that stuff. I he'd never coached someone at that level before. So there was just, we just, you know, didn't know really. So it was were quite you by that, Or were you phased by that? Or was it kind of almost the, the naivety of the knowing meant it was okay? A little bit. I sort of felt like, okay, I'm, I'm missing something here. What, what's going on? And I, I don't really understand it. And I remember saying to my coach, you know, um, what's the taper? And he was just like, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> just race. So it, you know, I, th I finished ninth again. So at those European juniors, but I mean, they were good for me, really good for experience, but um, it, it wasn't a, a blistering meet. And actually it was probably, that year then um so 86 i then swam at um a national championships in leeds and the time i did there then a bit out of the blue i got a letter through the post um uh, selecting me to swim in the great britain versus usa in darlington oh wow so this pink thing comes through the post saying you're selected for the great britain team and i just had opened it at home it was just dancing around the house this was just completely <laughs> you know through me through me absolutely just totally unexpected um and suddenly in december i was swimming at two great britain senior internationals and i was you know wow. just just about to turn 15 and how were you received by the others in the the locker room then so for coming i suppose that like complete obscurity into now being part of the gb team Really good. I mean, there was a there was a couple of the swimmers that I knew from my district. Yeah. And um, I remember, so my mum knew some of them. I remember one of the guys who my mum said to, look, can you just look after her and make sure she's okay? Now, if you ask anybody who swam at that time, who is the last person you would ask to make sure your daughter is okay, <laughs> it would have been him. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he was great. He did, okay. he did um, look after me in his own sweet way. Um, so there were a few of the swimmers that um, I, I kind of knew, um, but it was it was exciting. It was daunting. Um, you know, I sort of made friends with a, a few. I was really um, starstruck by meeting some of the older swimmers. Um, and it, it, yeah, it was just amazing and exciting and uh, great. It was just brilliant. I was thinking, you know, this this is I want to do this all the time. Uh, and at what stage did because obviously you said your local coach didn't have that experience what stage did you start considering that you'd have to need additional support from people that had coached at that level and to that sort of ability well i would say i was having i was having difficulties at my local club and and with my coach for a little while i'm um I'm the kind of person who asks questions not not to be difficult but because um 
I just like to understand. So telling me to swim, you know, do a training set, 10 100s or whatever it is, I, I'm not the sort of person that would just do it. I want to understand why I'm doing it. And that's not to, to criticise and say I don't want to do it. I just need to, to understand the process of what I'm trying to achieve and why. And my coach didn't like that at all. He would... <laughs> He, yeah, he was really, he, he really didn't like that. And um, there were also, there were times at my club when it was really difficult. I was, for a few years, I'd been picked on a little bit for wanting to train hard um, and for not wanting to skip rest. So, you know, I was a bit of, a, I guess, the teacher's pet, I suppose. Yeah. I'd, for, for quite a number of years, it had been difficult there were times when I remember going into races thinking I want to swim my best time, but I don't want to beat that girl because I know that I'll going to get some stick from everybody else if I beat her. But it didn't, it wasn't enough to stop me, but it was a thought. I was thinking, I hope she swims faster. Right. Okay. Which is a really unusual thing to go into any event wanting to do real, isn't it? Yeah. Cause I, I wanted to swim really well, but she was older than me and I knew that if I beat her, it was going to cause me some trouble. Um, but then, you know, I just, I, it wasn't enough to make me slow down. So then I just had to deal with it, but it was a bit uncomfortable at times at the swimming club. Oh, yeah. And then, um, I was, I was having trouble with my coach. So, um, ultimately we had a big row. Um, and then I, I tr basically trained on my own. So from, it was something like from 1987 for about 18 months. I was swimming on my own in a pool um, every morning for two hours. Sorry. Um, every morning for two hours. Um, and then my coach, I had a coach in London who I'd been working with once or twice a week. I used to travel from Bryson to Crystal Palace to get some 50-metre training yeah. in. So after school, train up to Palace, swim for an hour and a bit, and then train home. And I'd really enjoyed his training sessions. They were very – they were – his kind of policy was if I can't tell you why you're doing this then you don't have to do it and it was there was no yeah so there was nothing like just stay in the water to, for we've got the pool but for an hour and a half so you swim for an hour and a half yeah done what you need to do in this session the session's over and we were one of the first possibly the first um he was probably the first coach in England to do lactate testing for okay, swimmers. Yeah. And um, there was a coach in Scotland who'd started doing it with Ruth Gilfillan, who was um, kind of one of my idols at the time. Um, and and I just loved the whole idea of it being scientific. So everything I did yeah. being based on science, that really suited me. So I'd been training a couple of times a week with them. And then um, ultimately he just took over all my sessions. And I, my mum used to take me to Brighton College. The bursar opened the pool at five o'clock. She went home, showered, got ready for work. And then two hours later, she picked me up. So there was no one in the pool. It was just me and a pace clock for about 18 months. And... Um, and then I sort of did a switch between um, moving to Ipswich. So, yeah, it was it was kind of, I guess, around 15, 16 that I knew that I needed to move on. It is interesting, is it, for me, because the parents often are those unsung heroes, aren't they, that mm -hmm. are taking people to meets, to training. I mean, obviously, Sharon said about dad, he made him swim with broken arms as well. So maybe that's a little bit extreme. But <laughs> the fact that your mum would do that at five yeah. In the morning, drop me off, go back, take care of everything, and it's. Uh, I suppose yeah. we don't realise how fortunate sometimes we are to have that support, and that's kind of enabled you to go on to achieve what you had as well. 
Yeah, I mean, the only reason that I was have the medals that I have is because that I had the mum that I have. You know, there there is absolutely no way I would have been able to do it had she not been willing to do all the things that she did to help. So, you know, from I after school, I would go to her office. We'd get get to the train station. We'd go up to London, come back. It was a late night. She'd be up the next day. You know, she'd have porridge ready for me for when I woke up. So her days were really long, and she was working. You know, this is. Yeah. Um, this is not a, a you know stay at home mum who got to go back for a nap or you know she was doing a full day's work as well yeah. and looking after my dad and my sister you know making sure the family functioned so a hundred percent it just wouldn't have happened there's just absolutely no way it would have happened without her and at what stage then obviously you said you got a bit part-time coach swimming for 18 months on your own as well at what stage did things start to come to a stage where you went actually I can really do this now and I could potentially do this quite seriously at quite a level um I suppose I was already thinking you know this is what I want to do but obviously I was I was at school so I was um doing everything I could to fit it around schoolwork. so yeah. you know all the extra training I'd run home from school some days I had a you know a little multi-gym in my bedroom so I could do some weight training training um you know, do you know that you remember like the bench with the little leg press and yes, the little yeah. Bar? yeah one of those we're all in one little system <laughs> yeah yeah i can imagine being underneath when i dropped the dumbbells sometimes my goodness um so yeah so i was doing all little bits that i could that i thought would would help and doing everything i could at the time um i suppose you know i i kind of decided look I, I want to swim full time um and the deal was I had to do my A-levels. Yeah. Um, the problem was that the Commonwealth Games were in 1990 were the year that my A-levels should have been. And because they were in New Zealand, they were January, <clears throat> which obviously would have meant me yeah. taking a big chunk of time off. And let's remember there were no laptops and iPads. No, no. There was no sort of um, being able to do schooling uh, away from school. So... Um, I had the decision of either doing three years of A-levels or a year. It's like, well, I'm not doing three years. So I did my A-levels in a year right. and then um, got ready and sort of trained for the Commonwealth Games. Um, so I kind of had from the European Championships in 89, I got my A-level results while I was in Bonn. Um, and then, then I was a full-time swimmer and, you know, I had the agreement with my parents that, you know, I had my A-level. So if I needed to go back to university, I could, and I assumed I would when I was done with swimming, but I kind of swam a little bit longer than expected. (laughs) (laughs) Kept going. And what sort of that stage in the early nineties was available for you in terms of support then, both from a, anything financial, but also just trying to, I suppose, prepare you for what was to come with the exposure you were going to get? Um, so it was the Royal Bank of Mum and Dad, um, <laughs> mostly. Um, but then it was, you know, I, when I moved um, kind of to Ipswich um, at 17, sort of, you know, housing benefit and things like that. So I wasn't, wasn't really getting any funding. In the beginning, any, like, sports aid foundation and grants yeah. and things like that, and there was... Um, the English Language Centre in Brighton gave me a little bit of money. It all used to have to go into a trust fund and then you to apply to your trust fund to get any money to spend. So that was before kind of the sport term. It's pretty lofty, isn't it? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lottery didn't come in till 2000. So yeah. I was quite a long way pre-lottery. <laughs> yeah. So it was little bits here and there of people supporting me with bits and pieces, like a swimsuit or, you know, a coat, um, you know, a little bit of a kit or something like that. Um, there was a butcher in Ipswich called Bob Jay, Jay's Butchers, and he used to give me 15 pounds of meat free every week. Right. Which was possibly the best sponsor I've ever had. <laughs> I was putting fillet steak in my stir fries. You know, I was living at large, save up a couple of weeks to yeah. get my turkey at Christmas. Yeah. He, um, so it was things like that. Just, you know, amazing local support um, that helped me through to begin with um, before I started to get some sponsors. And obviously, you kind of established your your distance, your area. But did you sort of play around a little bit first, trying to work out what worked best for you in terms of swimming style, um, or did it quickly fall into? Actually, this is me, and this is what I'm best at. No, I definitely played around. So um, breaststroke was uh, probably my best event as a junior um, until. That sort of nationals where I said I came ninth. I came ninth in yeah. the breaststroke, which was my best event. But I had also qualified in the freestyle. Okay. And I just was absolutely gutted I hadn't made a final and made a huge improvement then on that to come ninth on that. So that was a year that front crawl started coming into play. And then a year later, it was, um, you know, my front crawl just had improved but I also I always kept doing medleys I did fly um and I, I moved around on distances on front crawl I started off pretty much on um 50 and hundreds and then moved up to 200s so I probably didn't start doing 200s until about 92 which would have your first year 92 yeah. yeah yeah something like that maybe 91 something like that yeah Talking about that, is it would have been Barcelona in '92, wouldn't it? So you've no, now Darren was my roommate. <laughs> so you've literally yeah. come from sort of in those six years, European champs, comma, and now 1992, you're yeah. at the big games. What do yeah. you think at that stage then for you know where you were, what you could potentially achieve? Well, it was strange because to be honest, I I should have been at the '88 games, and it was. Was it Seoul? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was a, it was, it wasn't right that I wasn't selected. There's kind of no recourse. Um, there was, there was a lot of difficult times with coaching, etc. At that time, okay. um, probably not for this podcast, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was, a, it was a difficult time in terms of who the head coach was and okay. things that were going on. Understood. Um, so I didn't get selected for that team. So to be honest, at that point, I sort of thought, that's it, I'm never going to go to an Olympics because although I, you know, I was 16, 17 um, for the 88 Olympics, I would have been you know, coming up to my 17th. And, and you know, the kind of role models that were in swimming, the, the people that I was looking up to, they were generally retiring in their early 20s to get proper jobs because, you know, you just couldn't keep going. There was no yeah. funding. There was no sponsorship, really. There was there was no way they could carry on and be full-time swimmers. So I just sort of thought, well, that's it. I'm never going to go to an Olympics. But, um, you know, I just thought, OK, well, I'm not going to quit. But, you know, this this could be it. I might never go. Um, but my coach and I sort of made a pact that, um, so by this time, Dave Champion had been coaching me for a while in, in Ipswich. And we made the decision that 
I had to be so good that I could never be left behind. So by the next Olympic Games um, or any competition post 88, they couldn't leave me behind. And so yeah. that, that was the goal at, at all the events. There's no way, there's nothing they can do. They have to take me. That's um, powerful. So, sorry? That's a powerful aim, isn't it, really, when you think about it in those yeah. terms, to be that good that they cannot, you know, meet yeah. you from the team. Yeah, uh, but I just had to make sure I couldn't give them any reason to leave me behind. Um, and obviously, th you know, things changed and selection, selection policies got tighter um, but at 92 Olympic trials, um, in my first race, I broke the British record in the heats. And That's a then again, old statement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was exactly it. And I was just like, "There's no way I'm not, I'm not getting on that plane." Well, I've now because it, it would take hours for us to talk through the the 20 years, the, <laughs> the 73 medals, with 35 World Championship medals, 38. Um, sort of national championships but there's a couple of that I'd like to talk about in particular one about obviously mm -hmm. um, it was the age of 24 wasn't it you had a serious car accident and yeah. uh, broke your back so can you talk to you a little bit about not obviously about how that happened but how you felt afterwards and what, what you feared in terms of your swimming career going forward um, yeah I mean November the 16th on my way to training um, at the time I didn't know that I'd injured myself that badly Okay. So I knew it was, I knew I'd done something, um, but I didn't know I'd broken my back. So it wasn't my spine, it was a facet joint. Okay. Um, so, you know, I was never at risk of paralysis, um, but I was in, I was in a lot of pain. Um, I used to just get stuck. So it was like someone pulled a drawstring in my back and I'd just get stuck, trapped and, um, you know, I got, I got trapped in the bath once and couldn't get out. There were times... Um, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was really difficult. It was really painful. Um, a lot of times when athletes um, do rehab, they do swimming as rehab. Yeah. But swimming rehab for me was was horrendous because obviously uh, I knew what I should be doing and knew yeah. what I was doing. Um, so it was just a permanent reminder of everything that I couldn't do, rather than feeling positive that I could do something. Yeah. So, um, you know, there were, I wasn't out of the water for very long, not out completely, okay. but there were, you know, sessions to begin with where I could do two lengths or four lengths. Um, I was never able to do backstroke properly again, which is not a massive loss. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't sit properly in the water. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was probably three years to get back to full training, um, but I didn't miss a major championship along the way. But I wasn't swimming very well. I wasn't swimming fast. And how does that affect you, I suppose, mentally as well, from being at a stage where, as you said, British records, you're really competing, potentially going to be on the global stage, to there were times, did you genuinely think you weren't going to make it back to the levels you were at before? Um, I didn't know, but I didn't want to not find out. So there okay. were some people who said, you know, to, to quote to them, you're a bit long in the tooth, maybe you should quit. Um, at 24. Yeah. Which is um, ridiculous, isn't it, when you think about it? Heartbreaking, isn't it? You know, when people actually said that to my face, I was just, really? Um, but yeah, I never, I sort of never got to the point where I, I didn't want to find out. There, I was always doing, I was sort of making teams. Yeah. Um, so there was something there for, to keep me going. But it was, it was hard because, you know, 
I knew why I wasn't swimming well. I knew how much pain I was in. Yeah. That doesn't go up on the scoreboard and that doesn't get printed in results. No one cares. No. So you have to, I had to have a lot of sort of confidence and patience and people around me reminding me where I had come, what, you know, what I had come from, um, how much I, I had done. The, the biggest problem for me was, um, you know, the confidence I got behind the block came from knowing the work that I'd done. So I think yeah. for a lot of athletes, you go, you know, I, I've done this in training. I've done this many hours. I've worked my turns. I've done the, you know, land training. I've run, you know, da, da, da. And you sit there and go, I've done this. I'm ready to race. And I couldn't stand behind the block and say that. So it got to the point, um, it was at, probably at its worst at the Commonwealth Games in um, 98 in Kuala Lumpur. Okay. And I was standing behind the block, absolutely certain that I wasn't going to finish a 200 freestyle. Okay. I was convinced that I couldn't finish the race. So that four lengths hard, was I wouldn't actually touch the wall at the end of it. Because of the pain. Just that I wouldn't, didn't have, I don't know that, that I mean, it's not rational. So no. I, I don't really know, not the pain, no, not the pain of my back. Okay. I wasn't fit enough. Right. Okay. That I couldn't do four lengths as hard as I'd done it before and push myself like I'd done it before. Cause I just wasn't as fit and hadn't done the training that I'd done before. So, um, I, you know, I'd stand behind the block thinking, I'm not going to make this. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to make it. And because of that, I would just go out too steady. Um, because I was terrified that I couldn't finish four lengths, which is so ridiculous when you look back. But that's, you know, the mind is such a powerful thing, and that's what I was convinced of. So I qualified um, eighth for the final, seventh or eighth for the final at that Commonwealth Games in the 200 freestyle. And I remember being in the swim down pool thinking, this has got to stop. This is ridiculous. This is, just has to stop. So I, during that swim down, I made the decision that in the final, I was going to go out as fast as I could, just absolutely blitz the first 50 and just see what happened. And if I didn't finish, I didn't finish. Yeah. So I needed to, to do it, you know, just to see what happened. Um, and I led that race for 195 metres until I got overtaken by Susie O'Neill. So I got a silver. But that was the turning point. Um, mentally and physically for me, it was that race. So that silver medal is possibly one of my most important swims that I ever did. It, 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 like hell. No, <laughs> it's interesting that first of all, you have that strength, that mental strength or robustness of actually, which is hard to do sometimes to go, well, I can do this and have that belief. But I suppose tactically, not that you would have planned at this stage, for you to qualify eight and then go out as hard as you did, must have thrown a few people off because I think, hang on a second, she's scraped through into the final. What's going on now? Yeah, maybe. I've got no idea. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't stop to think about it after. <laughs> I was just, I couldn't believe I'd finished. But in my mind, I thought, well, I'm going to see, you know I, don't know, I don't know what I was thinking. I just thought that... <sighs> If I think this is going to happen, I, now I just have to see if that's true because I can't go on scared that it might happen. So I've got to force it and see how bad it really is. And actually, I still finish the race. No, it's absolutely incredible. I um, don't know what that means about me at all, but they... <laughs> it's, there's a bit of an enduring theme, isn't there, with that doggedness, the stubbornness, but in a positive way. I think they call it mental robustness. 
Yeah, I think that's probably a nice way of putting it. I don't know. I think I've always been scrappy fighter rather than talent. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was always brought up to believe that if you work hard at something, there's no reason why you can't achieve it. And either way, you've got you've to gotta have a bash at it. And that is it's genuinely a fantastic philosophy because for a lot of people, um, there's definitely a misconception, well, if I'm not naturally talented. And you're saying, well, yeah, if you work hard, then things are achievable. And if you train and work hard enough, you can reach those and what a great message to send people and I'm sure it's one you send your girls as well on a regular basis and say that to them and yeah I try to because natural talent is such a tiny part of anything yeah. we do you know anything it, it just everything in life look you know what we are naturally good at is a minute part of what we do every day so if we avoid everything else we're gonna lead quite dull life so you just got to work hard and you will improve now you might not be the best because someone who's talented and works hard you know they've yeah they're michael phelps um so yeah, you know like got, got level yeah yeah but for everyone else actually if you if you if you dig deep it's it's kind of yeah something's there things can happen i've got I'd, I'd like to go on um very shortly to talk about some of the charity bits and talk about splash as well but i've got yeah. to ask how does it feel because you broke two world records um during your swimming career yeah. didn't you I just want to know how it yeah. felt when you realised you broke them. And then how does it feel when someone takes a record of something else off you as well? Uh, wait there, I'll show you something. Hold on. Here you go. These are my world record water. You see them? Where's the camera? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So they're <laughs> from the lane, the two races that we did. That's the water from the lanes that we broke the world records in when we did it. What a super thing to have. I know. A little urine sample. <laughs> Um, so yeah, prize. They're, I don't actually have any medals out on show, but I have my, my little boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, world record was amazing. It, um, it yeah, it, uh, both of them. Um, just you know, when everything comes together and you're looking, thinking actually this is on the cards, we could do this. But obviously there are other teams that could do it as well. So um, it was an amazing feeling with with some fabulous teammates. Um, and to feel like, you know, you're the fastest in the world on, on that day. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what happens after. Um, we were always that. I think the one that hurts was where the Chinese broke the, the world record. And yeah. I think, you know, in hindsight, our record should have lasted a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, because I spoke to Dan Wallace a few weeks ago, and obviously, yep. um, really talented young man that did retire ridiculously early. Yeah, but he was saying um, he particularly enjoys swimming as part of the team as opposed to individually because he liked, he felt he almost performed better because there was mm -hmm. pressure and expectation, but he felt part of something. How did you find that comparison between the individual achievements you had and then those within the teams? Um, I always loved being on a team. I loved anchoring a team. I loved being behind when I dived in. Um, I just, that was, was, you know, uh, yeah, that, that having someone to chase down and feeling like I was the underdog because I was diving in behind yeah. uh, was probably when I was at my very best. Um, and that's difficult to replicate when you're swimming on your own. <laughs> um, but you, you know, I had some, um, brilliant memories of individual races as well but they are they're very different they yeah. feel very different it's, it's just such a although it's the same sport it does feel quite a different event to be swimming 
in a relay or to be swimming individually. So um, for very special memories either way and, um, you know, a, a mixture of races that I would pick out as, as kind of the best swims for me, but there would be some relays in there. And, I mean, during your time, you were literally, you achieved an incredible amount of firsts and... I think I've been reading about you were leading the way in terms of the most um, Commonwealth medals for an English lady, the most British major medals, um, you know, an incredibly successful female athlete. Did you feel any pressure with that, that as it continued, became more and more successful and came more into the limelight um, to continue performing, also be that shiny example, I suppose, to the next generation of sports men and women? Um. I, I don't know really I think when I when I won um the world championships in in 94 in Parma I remember a sense of relief okay. and thought okay right I've done I've done that now so all the people have supported me I've got that that's in the bank now everything I do is a bonus okay so I almost felt a sense of relief that I had achieved something um, that I had, you know, that I was world champion, that I'd kind of got there. Not that it was over, but I was thought, okay, whatever happens, I will always have that. So yeah, there was thought, almost a sense of relief. And then um, I was awarded the MBE shortly yeah. after that. You were indeed. And um, I remember I didn't pick up my MBE till after the um so that was 93 sorry world championship so the commonwealth games in 94 but i didn't pick up my mbe till after those commonwealth games and i remember thinking at those commonwealth games my god you know i haven't picked up my mbe yet you know i've got to i've got to i've got to live up to this because otherwise it's going to be really embarrassing when i go to the palace and they'll be like well, a long time ago when you swam well wasn't it love <laughs> um so I, you know i do i kind of remember thinking i need to i've got to back this up yeah um but Sorry, I've got a fair motivation. Is that can't let the queen down? She's giving me a form for this. She's going to be struggling to find something to say if I don't swim well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I didn't want to let her down. Um, but I, I, I don't remember feeling ongoing pressure. I sort of enjoyed the idea that I, I needed to lead by example, and I was often one of the first races at a major championship and. So I was quite proud, proud to do that. But I don't remember feeling any more pressure. OK. And what was it then that kind of in the end made you decide, right, I've had my career, I've had my time and that, that's it for me now? Oh, you know, the grey hair and wrinkles. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so I'd gone to um, it, it was the Athens Olympics in, in 2004. It hasn't been a particular. Fourth at that stage? <clears throat> yeah, fourth yeah. Olympic. Um, it hadn't particularly been a pleasant time um, with the performance director. Um, he didn't like older swimmers. Um, he told me, you know, with my training, I felt like my the work I'd got put a lot of work in the bank. I didn't need to do the meters in the pool that some of the younger swimmers did. Yeah. Um, my race, I was still winning races, but I trained smarter because yeah. I was now um, thirty-two. Um, but he he said that I was a bad role model because I couldn't train as hard as some of the younger swimmers. So to him, that made me a bad example. Um, and it was just a really difficult time. It wasn't an enjoyable time. There was just, you know, a lot of, 
a lot of really, I just think, bad things going on within British swimming. It was a real toxic environment. It wasn't particularly enjoyable. Um, the team was fantastic. The swimmers were brilliant. Um, but, you know, a lot of the coaches were feeling the stress and they weren't particularly great to be around. It, was, it wasn't a positive place. Yeah. Um, I had got to, so obviously I'd really worked my way back after my injury. Um, I, the Olympics really were where I'd felt I hadn't achieved my best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I couldn't do another four years of training. I couldn't yeah. train and push myself like I had for another four years because like I said, I wasn't particularly naturally talented. I had to work hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, I used to be carried out of my races and, I, could, I was regularly I couldn't walk after training wow. so I was I had to push myself hard so I couldn't do that I just knew that I didn't have four years left so I sort of thought I will go to the trials in 2005 I was sort of winding down swimming but I would go to the trials and see how I felt and if I was really gutted not to make the world championship team, which I knew I wouldn't make, but I wanted to see how it made me feel, yeah. then I would um, try to make another Commonwealth Games. Okay. But um, at those world championships, you know, it was it was sad, but I was I knew it was the right decision not to carry on. But yeah. I gave myself that year to wind down, so I didn't make a cut and dry decision. I sort of tried to do it as sensibly as I could. I'd been a swimmer for more years of my life than I hadn't. I'd been on the national team for more years of my life than I hadn't, so I knew yeah. it was really tough. No, I think nobody could argue or take that away from you. So for those that aren't aware then, can you talk a little bit about Splash, where the idea came from and what it is? So <laughs> basically, um, British Swimming had awards for Coach of the Year, Official of the Year, Volunteer of the Year, but not Swimmer of the Year. Which and seems I, a obvious omission, doesn't it, really? I thought, it's all a bit odd. So we didn't have an awards. So they, they kind of did some performance, the odd performance award that one person would get invited to their dinner. But there was no event for all the athletes. And so I just decided to start it. So um, the first one was in 2005. So we did swimming, swimming, diving, water polo, synchro and disability swimming. Um, and I mean, it was it was wasn't easy um, to get it going, but it was, um, you know, it was always a, a, a bit of a, a battle, but um, it was brilliant for the years that we did it. And then in 2012, um, during the Olympics, the. Um, CEO of British Swimming said to me, I'm not funding it this year. The swimmers don't deserve to celebrate. So about three, four weeks before it was due to be, he pulled the funding that they gave, which meant I couldn't go ahead with it. So, and I was just like, that's, that's that. I can't, I can't do this anymore. So even though, you know, there were plenty of swimmers who might not have won medals, but did best times. Yeah. There were swimmers who won medals and deserved to be recognised, Becky Adlington, uh, Michael Jameson, you know, they deserved yeah. to be recognised for their medals. There were divers that had done brilliantly. Paralympic swimmers had an amazing yes. um, Paralympic Games. Synchro had a great, great year. Water polo, you know, had a good year. But to him, he was just like, they don't deserve to celebrate. And that was that. That's awful, isn't it? Sort of yeah. Look at that now, you can't even believe that, especially with 
just how much I suppose hype around the game and that pride of Britain as well within each and every single athlete swimmer, no matter what it was, the public were behind them, weren't they? And genuinely believed they had done us proud. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a non-swimmer right there making a decision about something that he doesn't understand the, the fundamentals of because um, it doesn't matter if the results weren't what they wanted. It didn't mean that they didn't work really hard. And yeah. that's, the you know, the beauty and the of sport is that the results are unpredictable. If we did it off, you know, what we expected and just hand in the, you know, the, the sheets, lineup sheets beforehand and yeah. and give the awards but the the reason we don't is because sport is unpredictable of course. and the swimming didn't go as well as as we might have wanted it to go but there are a lot of athletes there who competed at a one and only olympic games there are very few olympians in the world ever of course. Um, it's an incredible achievement to do that and to simply look at what they hadn't done instead of celebrating what they had done um, is really short-sighted. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, something I've seen as well is, um, obviously, since you've retired, you've invested a lot of your own time in helping develop um, athletes, both um, able-bodied and disabled, um, young generation. So what's, I suppose, for you, the, the biggest set thing you get from that? Not the very obvious in terms of it makes you feel good to be able to pass on that knowledge, but do you ever get time where you get excited, where you see some of the things? they've actually got potential to do something or you see little bits of yourself in any of these? Yeah, I think um, there's lots of different aspects to that. There's a part of it that because my last few years in swimming were so difficult, um, I really wanted to advocate for athletes so that they had a voice. And so that really led to um, my working with the British Athletes Commission um, and being trying wherever I can to be a voice for athletes. Um, in terms of um, swim schools, there is the the frustration of the amount of people that can't swim, um, children and adults. Um, and then when adults can't swim, how that then goes on through generations because yeah. they don't have confidence to take their children swimming and so on and so on. And then the people who tell me swimming is boring. Um, Nobody that was kind of on a mission. <laughs> Pardon? Nobody watching that this thinks that for a moment. Um, do you know, because they think that all we do is just swim up and down and up and down and up and down. And, it, you know, I wouldn't have done that for you know, 30 years of my life if that's all we did. Um, but, you know, in this country, unlike if you go swimming in Australia, they've got bags of kit with them. They're getting their fins on, their paddles. We don't like to do that over here. So, you know, we swim and we don't really want to touch a bit of equipment because yep. it's makes us look like we're being all flash or something i don't know so um i just wanted to really educate people on how amazing swimming can be um you know when you can't do any other sport how amazing swimming um can be if you do other sports so i worked with england rugby sevens i worked with harlequins i worked with some cricketers on their swim programs um i worked with a pole vaulter when she was injured and okay. I worked her speed in the water um so, you know, how swimming can be fun. Um, it can work different parts of the body in different ways that you wouldn't have thought of. It can be enjoyable. Um, 
it, you know, it might be the only sport eventually any of us can do because we're falling apart. And so yeah. if you know what to do in the pool now, it will serve you better yeah. later on. So there were a few elements. And, and then I was just really conscious that there were a lot of people that just didn't have access to swimming lessons or good swimming lessons. You know, 20 kids in a pool and doing two wits in a, in a lesson is just not, is not acceptable. Yeah. So I wanted to... Um, run my swimming lessons and through that be able to open them up for um, children and adults who couldn't afford to have swimming lessons otherwise. So that was kind of, a, you know, yeah, a big part of all the, the different bits I was trying to fit in post-retirement. Um, and it's really a lovely thing. And I, I suspect that a lot of people didn't know that as well. And I think it's fantastic that you're doing not only that to help them, but that'll be something they can cherish forever to, you know, it's not just... I was taught a little bit of swimming. So I've been taught swimming by a multi-medalist former, you know, world championship swimmer. It's not a bad thing to be able to say, is it? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I, I'd have to say that, you know, being successful as an athlete doesn't always make you the best coach. No, of course. I really enjoy working with not so much the learn to swim, but mm. with adults um, who are who want to enjoy swimming more and just yeah. um, being able to show them drills and how to use equipment and how that changes their swimming completely for them that for me was a real thrill just just to be able to say well you know put some fins on and you'll actually enjoy the session you know or we'll try paddles and you'll you know you'll feel the water differently and just being able to share that that it's not just for for elite swimmers that anyone can get the benefit of using different bits of equipment. You know, I've, um, a friend of mine who said she couldn't swim anymore because she, her neck hurt too much, so she could only swim breaststroke. Might well get get a snorkel, you know, and then you can swim front crawl, and you don't have to turn your head. Yeah. And she was just like, "This is just changed. This now I can exercise," you know, yeah. where she hadn't been able to do any proper exercise. So, it's that kind of thing was a real thrill for me. No, I can imagine. <laughs> Although the visions now of um, your swimmers, everyone's swimming normally. You've got one friend snorkeling down the side, some of those yep. fins things. Exactly. Uh, they, Karen swimmers, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I had um, one of the swimmers where I had a, a, a blind swimmer who does triathlons now. So, you know, we set it up so he would have um, the side of the pool where he needed so that yep. he could feel where he needed i had a group of muslim women swimming so we set it up so all the men had to go out through a certain door yeah. so that they could come in and swim comfortably sure. um you know so it's all things like that i was just like okay i want to have the kind of swim school where i'm not saying these are the sessions and you have to fit in i'm saying right if you want to swim tell me what you need and we'll see how i can work it out so it was it was quite fun oh, i can imagine so two last questions, if I may, then, because I really yeah. enjoyed this and thank you. But um, if you could give any advice now to um, young swimmers that are getting into the sport and really want to kind of progress to the next level, what advice would you give them? Um, no shortcuts. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard you work. You've got to work the skills. So, you know, um, starts, turns, finishes. Every time you practice them wrong, you're just learning to do that wrong and it won't suddenly magically happen right in a race. So the skills and repetitively doing over and over and over again correctly um, is key. You know, if you do a training session, you do 40 turns badly, you've got to do 40 correct to be back where you started from and you've got to do 41 right to be ahead. Okay, yeah. Yeah. 
this is how I, my head works. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, you just think you've got to be practicing it perfectly all the time. Otherwise, it, it just doesn't magically happen when you want it to. Um, and enjoy it. You know, if you if you're lucky enough to find something that you can you can dig deep. And you know, the reason I was able to push myself was because I really enjoyed it. You know, yeah. I love swimming and I wanted to swim faster. So I'm like, right, what do I need to do to swim faster? You know, it's, it's pretty simple, but I loved it. If it was, you know, cooking, I probably, I may not have put so much passion. <laughs> <laughs> but um, finding something that you really enjoy makes, makes it all so much easier. No, I could imagine actually. And you, you're always more enthusiastic about something that you do genuinely enjoy, aren't you? Yeah, and you know it. It it's not going to necess- necessarily happen overnight. If you're not the best at fourteen, doesn't mean you're not going to be the best at twenty four. You've just got to work to your time timeline, and if it takes you a bit longer, so be it. But if you do things right, you work hard, and you enjoy it, the chances are you'll come out the other end feeling like you've succeeded in whatever way that is. No, fantastic. And if people want to either follow what you're up to now, um, either be it the adventures of you and the twins or other bits, or <laughs> yeah. say as well, because I know obviously when COVID um, relaxed a little bit more, there's opportunities for, for you to come and actually speak as well, isn't there, from a motivational speak side. So how do they find yeah. more about you and how do they get hold of you? Yeah, sure. So um, I, um, I have uh, my Instagram account, uh, Karen Picks. Um, I'm on um, Facebook, Karen Pickering MBE. Um, I'm on Twitter. Can't remember my Twitter handle <laughs> right now. Um, anyway, you can find me. Um, so yeah, you can follow me and contact me that way, um, or my, you know, you can email if you want any uh, information on motivational speaking or um, coming to some clubs or even doing it over over Zoom, which I have been doing some chats with clubs, which have been brilliant fun. Um, my email is one two one so one the word the number two one the word at karenpickering.co.uk one to one at karen pickering um and then also i am the swimming development officer for arding Lai college and so you can follow arding Lai swimming as well to see what we're up to so i've been there a year um which has been really good fun too that is absolutely fantastic. And thank you all. It's been really interesting. And I, I define it a lot to listen to that and have taken something from it in terms of the biggest lesson of the hard work piece and aiming for what you want and what's achievable. So, Karen, thank you so much for your time. It's been My absolutely pleasure. And take care. And no interruptions from either my kids or yours. So we'll take that as a double win. Winner. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to speak again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And that concludes another interview for the day. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening. And as ever, if you have any feedback, send it through to me at my Instagram handle at fighting underscore the underscore dadbod. Enjoy the rest of your day.